Welcome to the Habit Stack Podcast by Purple Crest. In this show, your host Rahul shares ideas and approaches for accelerated growth in business and life. If you're an entrepreneur or an ambitious professional, then this is a show for you. Learn from those who figured out how simple it can be to build a system for growth. Hey everyone, this episode is a conversation with Thomas Mirmur and his journey on getting business education through startups. Thomas sees himself as a business product guy who knows how to write software applications end-to-end. To date, Thomas has done the engineering, sales, marketing and support for his business, Perk Up. Perkup drives employee engagement by allowing companies to issue preloaded visa cards that the team can freely spend on entertainment, education, fitness, childcare, or office equipment. Our conversation focused on understanding how Thomas made some critical decisions, what he could have done better in early career, and how he built the relevant skills and habits. His journey and decision-making is relevant for early-stage entrepreneurs solopreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs, and students who are about to make critical career decisions. Enjoy listening to this one. Hey, Thomas. Um, welcome. Um, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll get started, Thomas. Uh, re- uh, we had a conversation a few days back, and I'm really curious to know more about uh, uh, you and the venture. Let me get started by asking you, uh, how did you make uh, various choices in your career? Um, you have had an interesting professional life so far. Uh, you were at Eventbrite uh, after college. Uh, you left Eventbrite. Now you're starting your le- latest venture. What yeah. was the thought process when you were making some of these choices? For example, when you were joining a college, when you were joining Eventbrite, and when you were leaving Eventbrite? Yeah. Yeah, the I mean, the, I think the first big decision I had to make was when I was in high school, figuring out um, which university to go to and what to study at university. And I think that's a like a difficult decision for a lot of people in high school because what am I going to be when I'm older? Is that kind of question? Yeah. And um, my father, he, he studied at UBC as an electrical engineer, and then got into software, and then later kind of business and software, and is now a CTO for a large company. And uh, he's like, go into engineering, go into computer science, learn something, and then eventually do business if you want to do business. Mm-hmm. And being a, a young, ignorant teenager, I said, no, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go to business school. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a businessman. And um, I decided to go to uh, Western University and stu- study at the Ivy Business School. Um, and closer to the end of, of studying at Western, I started to realize, um, okay, maybe he's right. Maybe I have to learn some tangible things and then start applying those business practices. Um, but I, I had this kind of uh, mindset of I always wanted to get into business, mm-hmm. and then later that evolved into into startups and uh, and technology. And there were some pivotal moments at the end of my uh, my experience at Western that really that kind of foundation for that decision. Can you tell a little bit more about those pivotal moments? Yeah. So, I mean, 
I, I was still trying to figure out which function to go into while I was at Ivy and they have a very strong focus on accounting, marketing, consulting, and finance. So I, I started going down the finance route and uh, was working for a private equity company during the one of the summer months. And I just did not like the finance culture. Mm -hmm. So on the side, I started uh, looking into like starting an e-commerce business and got together with a friend um, and we started a e-commerce website called Wrist and Rye, selling men's ju jewelry online. Mm -hmm. And I just loved that experience. I mean, we had $30,000 in sales in our first year and we were creating this great brand and I was learning about Shopify and doing all these digital marketing techniques. And halfway through the summer, uh, while I was I was an intern in private equity, I was just saying, hey, like, I know I want to go down this path. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know about it, but it's much more exciting than the finance route. And during during my fourth year at Ivy, um, there's a there's a big project that everyone has to do where you either consult the business or start your own business. So that summer project, that side gig that I had while I was working in private equity, that became my big project during my final year at Ivy. Um, and brought in some other students, kind of help out and grow the business. And we learned a lot about uh, different digital marketing techniques and um, actually building a, a stronger product. And then when I graduated, um, we, we got like a lot of support saying, hey, like maybe you guys should take on investment. Maybe you should join like an incubator, like grow this thing into a full fledged business. But when we were looking at the men's jewelry business and especially like beaded bracelets, very, very saturated, um, very low barrier to entry. And we were selling products for averaging $50 and making them for about $3 per piece. So mm -hmm. our margins were quite good, but our defensibility was essentially our brand. And I didn't see it becoming a business, big business. So I decided to, uh, to come back to Vancouver. I'm from Victoria, from BC, and uh, start working for a tech company as a digital marketer. So use the skills from Riss and Rye and apply it to a startup. Wow. So if I were to just summarize what I heard, uh, you had that clarity that you want to get into business. Uh, that's how you made the first decision where you want to go and study. Then there were some moments where uh, you started a business in men's jewelry. It gave you a very practical insight and knowledge and experience about how business can be started. And yeah. By doing, you learned why this might not be a good idea to pursue further because while the margins were good, the market was saturated and that led to the next decision, which I would call is, uh, I would say somewhat linked to what your dad said that uh, you should be picking up more skills. So when you joined the uh, other organization, it was about further strengthening the, the knowledge that you have gained to eventually apply it in uh, another business. That's exactly right. And like the, the skills that I started picking up, I was working for a company called Foodie. They're still operating and they're a corporate meal delivery service. So we were, I had like now a much larger PPC budget. I was had like a, a content writer on my team, a graphic designer. So we were thinking about these like quarterly marketing strategies and then deploying these larger budgets to really drive sales mm. and doing that at much larger scale. That's what I was like, okay, the, the skills that I picked up and I'd say more of like a production startup marketing environment, um, just really was so much more than the, the wrist and rye e-commerce business. But through, I mean, through that experience at Foodie, I was in charge of the marketing site and we started doing these really like more dynamic campaigns. So I started writing more CSS, more HTML that I picked up from the Shopify days and uh, started venturing into JavaScript. And when I started getting into like the functional pieces of JavaScript, 
I was like, okay, this is, this is pretty cool. Like I, I like, I like writing code. So I started trying to sit closer and closer to the engineers. And then I got to the point of saying, Hey, I, I want to be writing code full day. I want to be an engineer. And I was pitching the CTO at Foodie saying, Hey, can I become an engineer? And he goes, you're not an engineer and there's no spots for you here. So like, you're going to have to find somewhere else that's going to pick you up. And while I was at Western, I was very involved in like the event space. And I started looking at other startups in Vancouver and found one that had a really strong design sense. Um, it looked like they had a really good product, a really like strong leadership team. And uh, they were looking for ways to grow. grow. Like I, I kind of got that sense. So I went to the CEO, his name's J.S. Parmar. And uh, I was like, hey, I, I want to work for you. I want to become an engineer uh, and you want to grow. Like, let me help you, you grow and you help me become an engineer. So um, we had a bunch of different conversations and we kind of landed on that. So I started working with them on their on the growth team, working with the sales and marketing team and uh, growing up the ACV that we had. And then also working with the engineers and learning how to write production code. And within six months, half my time was spent writing production code at the Wow. Wow. I, I like this story so much. This was almost like a dream phase, but also uh, driven by a strong will. You were becoming good at two really important aspects of building a business. One on the marketing side, where you had that natural fit. And second, developing a product, specifically when it comes to tech products, uh, it's so, so important that you uh, have some sense of how technology works. And mm -hmm. with your will, you were able to achieve both the objectives. So it sounds like a dream phase for you, but also very important lesson, I would say, in, in, in life, if I were to apply in my case, that if I'm determined to uh, create success, then I would be able to find my path, like you speaking to the CEO. Love that. Love that. Yeah. And, and a, a big part of it is like being open to not knowing things, but willing to learn. So at Picatech, they were an events company, but they made the decision to be API first and they were trying to grow adoption of their API. And Jay was telling me this and I'm telling him I want to be an engineer, but I'm also telling him I don't know what an API is. Like, I, I, I literally <laughs> don't know what this is. And I'm like, I will learn. I'll figure out what it is. I'll work with the sales and marketing team. Once I understand, I'll train the rest of the team. And we'll go out and sell it. Like, I didn't even know what this thing was. And I was telling him that I was going to be able to sell it. Um, <laughs> but once I got in there and started understanding what it was, then I was like, okay, because I was, I was interested in the tech. So I was, and I understood the event space. So, um, I mean, we, we had a large amount of ACV within one year of being there from people actually signing contracts to access the API. And then that was one of the major decisions that Eventbrite made uh, to come in and acquire Picatick because mm -hmm. they were hoping to grow their presence in Vancouver and mm. they were hoping to grow adoption of their API. Um, and during the due diligence process, I did one of the main kickoffs of our product to explain what our API is, how it's growing and how our customers are using it. So I went from one year of, of not knowing to, to pitching it to a company that was acquiring us. So that's how you ended up at uh, Eventbrite. That's right, yeah, Eventually. so we, yeah, so Fast forward a year, we go through two months of due diligence and they sent a bunch of team members up. And then next thing you know, we're, we're a bunch of bright links and we're starting the Vancouver office and they were growing uh, quite heavily outside of um, San Francisco. And uh, now it's like, okay, what am I going to do at Eventbrite? Cause I was wearing like all these different hats, pick a tick and it's, it's very focused at a much larger organization. At the time there were about 1200 people. 
So one of the guys in the growth team is trying to pull me out and trying to like give me some more like uh, like growth activities going from a B2C approach. And um, the CTO sat me down. He said like, it looks like you want to become an engineer, but you're not an engineer. I'm like, I've heard this conversation <laughs> before. And he's like, but you, you obviously want to make an impact. And if you do want to join engineering, that's not going to happen for at least three years or unless you get a CS degree. My advice to you is to join our product management team and be more of a technical product manager sitting in with the, the platform business unit. So I originally joined uh, Eventbrite as a platform growth manager mm-hmm. and trying to understand the things that were going on and then transition into product. And uh, I started high level with not like super technical products, but became much more uh, lower down the stack as, as I uh, progressed with the company. So that's where you picked up uh, the uh, business related skills of developing the uh, the product. That's right. Yeah. And so how did you then make that transition out of even bright to uh, start your own venture? Tell me a little bit more about uh, what is it uh, that you're doing right now, which is perk up and yeah. how did you get this idea? What, what, what problem does it solve when a uh, little bit more about what's the traction like, etc. Yeah, so uh, at PerkUp, we're allowing companies to issue preloaded Visa cards to their team to spend on perks. So it, it doesn't work at the bar, it doesn't work on the gas station, but they can spend it on fitness, childcare, entertainment, education. So companies that typically have those sort of like perk stipends, they're transitioning it over to the perk cards and then giving to their employees. Um, and it, it's really interesting because the companies have these kind of ideas of the programs they want to execute but it's difficult for it to be fair and flexible for everyone. So we're, we're giving control to the team members and letting them buy their own perks. And this is helping companies drive engagement, help with hiring, expanding retention. Um, and the, the idea is evolving every single day, like every single week. I mean, if we talked a month or two months from now, it's going to be much, hopefully much more than that. But the original idea was I was at Eventbrite, COVID hit, they had to shut down the Vancouver office let go 45% of the company. Um, I got a bunch of new teams and like it was it was difficult because they, they weren't able to, to make maybe the additions and comp that everyone was expecting. Everyone's stock price was down. Engineers were being poached uh, over to Facebook and Google and others. So it was it was a tough time while we were there. And also we were all working from home. We were everyone's remote and I couldn't stand working remotely. So I was like, I need to get into a co-working space. Like I need to get out of my bedroom. Um, and, uh, I talked to my manager. I was like, can I get budget for a co-working space? The answer obviously was no, there was no budget. Every, everything was being cut back. Mm. And I'm looking at my friends at Shopify and other tech companies that are getting these sweet work at home setups. And, um, it just feel like they felt like they were supported from their employer. And I didn't feel like I was. And one of the things I thought, like, I was always, I always knew that I wanted to get back into trying to start my own thing. Always like writing down ideas and they're all bad ideas, but writing ideas down nonetheless. And, uh, one of them was like, imagine if, imagine if they could pay for my Netflix and Spotify, like I'm not like just do something to show appreciation for all the work that I'm doing and not even, not even as like a performance, but just, just say, Hey, like we care about you. Here's something that we're doing. And, uh, yeah, I mean. I started pitching that idea in September and the response from companies was like, that's cool, but uh, not something that we're really interested in doing because we already have a wellness or fitness or childcare program and managing the reimbursement for that 
is annoying. It's tough for HR, finance, and the employee. And adding Netflix and Spotify onto it isn't intriguing enough. So that's not, not something that we're interested in doing. And then I kind of pinpointed on that reimbursement kind of sucks. How can we make that better? And learned about technologies around card issuing and how we can make these cards restricted. Came back to companies and said, hey, let's issue a card to your team to buy their own perks. How does that sound? And the, the reception around that was really positive. Amazing. So now you're solving the reimbursement pain problem. That's where we started. I mean, there's within this, uh, within this like category, you can take like the expense management route or the employee engagement route. And within expense management, you're, you're competing with like all the different corporate cards, especially some of the much more modern ones like Rex or Divi. Um, and then you've got all the reimbursement platforms out there that are either like their own, which is like Expensify or built into maybe NHRIS like Workday or Gusto or, or Rippling. Um, and pay, like, like a lot of those services are like uh, free features or there are like actual benefits of using those corporate cards. So incentivizing someone to pay you a SaaS fee within the expense management category is difficult. If you look the other way towards employee engagement and improving the employee experience, people are definitely willing to pay for that. That's a hard thing to do. So reimbursement is where we started, but it's not where we're going. What we have is a way for like people to buy things through these cards and a funding source, but we're also integrated with our HRIS. So we, we have all that information um, and really trying to find ways that we can improve what the employee experiences by joining that company and can continue to work for them. So um, we're, we're going down much more the path of employee engagement. Wow. And employee engagement and employee experience is such a massive problem and it has become so much bigger since COVID hit where mm -hmm. it's, it's not only the traditional way of employee engagement that one has to look at, but if I were heading HR, or if I'm uh, in the C-suite of any organization, I would now also need to look at innovative ways of uh, engaging the employees which are working remotely. So, so love that. What I actually love about the story uh, that you just shared, Thomas, there are three things. One, uh, when COVID hit, uh, obviously like many others, you also had a particular experience at your organization. I would call you like, few other problem solvers, someone who is an anti-fragile problem solver. By mm. that, what I mean is that with that disorder, you became stronger. It, uh, there are a lot of people who uh, would react in a different way to the disorder, but the disorder, what it did in your case is that it made you more creative and thoughtful uh, about some of the problem that you would want to solve. The second Thanks. thing is, <laughs> second thing is, uh, you were looking at your own pain point uh, uh, and mm -hmm. you were trying to look at how can this pain be solved. So it was an, your own experience as an employee in an, uh, in an organization that you yeah. started looking at and you wanted totally. to solve. And this is such a great way of starting any business. If you mm -hmm. have experienced that pain, then you know much more about the problem and how it should get solved compared to solving someone else's pain where we might not have uh, that much of uh, an idea about what exactly is the problem that I'm going to solve. And the third right. thing, which I really love is the speed at which we have gone out of the office. It's not that like mm. 
an engineer, you build something and then you assume that if this is working for me, it will work for everyone. You started with a particular problem statement and then you went out, you did the interaction with the customers and then you refined that particular problem based on what you were hearing from the customer. So really love that story. Uh, uh, really loved how you have uh, come across in such, such a short span of time and created something which I'm sure is going to be useful for a lot of organizations. Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, tell me uh, something more about, uh, I think you are you're someone who has been uh, creating success in terms of uh, uh, achieving these mini milestones fairly quickly. Uh, mm. What are your beliefs about uh, success? Are there a few factors that matter more than others? Yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the main things, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly... I mean, uh, Mark Zuckerberg talks about this. He's like, move fast and break things. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, um, there's there's a lot of top visionaries and entrepreneurs that are always talking about like failure. I, I, I think it's so important to just like ship really, really quickly and be okay with breaking things. And like, I mean, as we're talking right now, I was shipping two minutes before this call released mm -hmm. a production bug and there's nothing I can do. It's up there right now, but I'm I'm like on the front end, I'm constantly shipping, I'm constantly testing different things. I'm using analytics and the customer conversations to inform those decisions, but I'm not, I'm not waiting on anything. And um, if there is a blocker, I just move steps and, and like kind of simplify as much as I can so that I can release as, as soon as I, I can and, uh, and being okay with things breaking and things not working and failing. Because um, I find that's where like innovation happens. And, and depending on who you're working with, they might be uh, they might be comfortable with that. And you have to do it up to like uh, a reasonable manner. Like, I mean, if you're dealing with people's money and you're gonna lose it and there's a large repercussion, I think you might wanna think about that differently. But for the most part, especially with software, whether you're working on web or mobile, like a front end can break and things can change very, very rapidly. And that's where you're gonna really, really succeed. So, um, I mean, the, especially on like my experience and, uh, like the, the, the software experience and, and the platform that I built, it's one of the things is like shipping on the front end every single day. I think that's been a, a major uh, point of success and being able to bring the product to where it is today. Um, I was, I was thinking about this a little bit before, and I think. I think one of the things is understanding that there's a lot of unknowns, unknowns, and I'm in HR, like I'm operating in the HR space and I've never worked in HR. So there's so much that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. And you, to have a product mindset, you always have to be talking to people, but it's very easy to have like a sales approach or like a targeted questions approach. And I think it's so much more valuable to have like a wide, broad, um, set of questions that you're asking to expose those unknowns, unknowns. And that's, if you truly listen, if you're not just trying to sell or convince someone of something, if you open those broad open questions and, and they can talk about their expertise. Um, and if you're constantly doing that, you're going to expose so many things that you didn't even know existed. And that can be uh, a huge opportunity. So in two words, uh, one is shipping. Second is listening with a broad set of questions and i i love both of them by the way uh, fantastic way to uh, to create success in so many other areas uh, the shipping part uh, can be uh, converted into uh, consistently taking action and uh, 
Jerry Seinfeld has this famous quote, never break the chain. So if in case, in, in your case, it's shipping on a daily basis, then just don't break the chain and you will achieve success. Uh, right. So are there certain habits or routines or rituals that you've created around these two factors that you have now understood contribute most to your success? How do you make sure that you are actually doing both of these? Yeah. So on the, on the unknown and unknowns, I am like constantly setting up with, uh, I'm, I'm like every single day trying to talk to someone that I'm like, okay, this is going to expose something that I don't know about. Like, I don't know this person at all and they don't really know me, but they're going to be able to give me some sort of insight. Um, and I usually try to steer that towards a customer, uh, or someone that's like within the field that I'm trying to target, whether that be a, HR, um, like entrepreneurship, whether that be engineering, like something that I'm, I'm focusing on. Um, but talk to someone every single day. The other piece is, um, I mean, I'm, everyone is motivated in different ways. I think for like moving quickly and constantly shipping, I try to set, I'm, I'm like an 80% goal success rate kind of guy, but having mm -hmm. goals and setting them publicly really helps motivate me to constantly move quickly and push things out. Um, so I'm personally setting daily goals um, that I'm, I'm just kind of for myself and then weekly go goals is with the team and like this is what I hope to achieve um, by the end of either Friday or next Tuesday depending engineering the products. Um, and uh, the, the one that's probably the most public is like, these monthly goals and they're they're quite ambitious. They're like very simple and it's just like this is where we're hoping to be at the end of February or within 30 days. Um, and I find when I share those with like people that could potentially be investors, angels, family members, friends, maybe customers, um, I'm just moving so much more quickly because of that. So creating accountability partners in some ways, uh, declaring mm -hmm. to them, what is it that you're going to achieve that motivates you and, uh, uh, make sure that you are taking consistent action. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I also, I would, I would step back and be like, that's my routine. And I've, I've evolved it over time. I think like everyone, everyone does work differently. Everyone learns differently. Like everyone is unique. Um, so figure out wor what works the best for you. I mean, I used to be like, oh, everyone should be setting public goals. And I, I don't think that's actually the most important thing because maybe just goal setting enough and you set that goal, you're going to be accountable to yourself. That might be enough. So figure out what, like, what routine, what habit, what works for you to contribute to that factor that you believe is going to make you successful. Hmm. And if I were to flip this question, what is your number one challenge in making sure that you are consistent on both of these success factors? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely challenging to set goals. Hmm. Um, like, like often I'm like halfway through the, like working on a goal. I'm like, is this the right goal? I'm hmm. like, am I actually working on the right thing? And it's, it can be very difficult to set goals or pivot goals. Um, because it's like when your strategy is changing, is your goal changing? And I, I try to get feedback from people that are the most believable before making those decisions, but it's extremely challenging to both set and pivot goals. Um, the uh talking to people regularly 
takes time. You have to talk to them and you have to find them and you have to set up the meeting and convince them to talk to you. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's super cumbersome. I mean, and we met through, um, it's, uh, it's lunch club. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I, I just love the service cause it, it solves that struggle for one of those meetings that week, but I need lunch club for my, for customers and to find engineers to speak to and like so many different things. So finding the right people, scheduling them, convincing them, and then actually having the conversation, it takes a lot of time and you only have so much bandwidth, but I think it's, it's a worthwhile investment. I totally agree. I totally agree. And uh, uh, any incident that came to your mind when you were thinking of this struggle, like you mentioned two things. One is setting the goal itself is a challenging task. And second is finding out people to talk to, taking out bandwidth. So any incident, any story that comes to your mind when you were sharing this? Um, I mean, the, the, the main goal that I'm working on right now is uh, there's there's YC Startup School, which anyone can join. It's just kind of regular meetings. And then right now they're doing a YC Build Sprint, which is uh, a four-week program where you, and for anyone that doesn't know, YC is Y Combinator, one of the major um, incubators in North America, and I think probably one of the most well-known incubators globally. Um, they have like a public program where you set a goal, you work on it for four weeks, you check in regularly of updates as how you're going. Um, and I mean, I, I want you to kind of like impress them. They see it during your YC application. I, I set an ambitious goal, but I just like, I didn't understand. I didn't think enough about actually the execution of that goal nearly enough. And that was to reach uh, 100 paid monthly active users. And um, I didn't think about my pipeline. I didn't think about like how long it actually takes to acquire those customers. So, I mean, thinking about the execution of those goals before you actually do it is so important. And it's something that I didn't do. Mm. Um, I just thought a lot much more about hitting that end goal and like <laughs> what it looks like at the end, not what it takes to get there. Yeah. Um, and a much more realistic one, if I were to do it again, is like mm. have 10 clients that have at least 10 MAUs or a combination that adds up an aggregate that adds up to 100 MAUs where I believe they have a chance of, of uh, closing. Like if within four weeks, if I can have started those conversations, get them, develop that relationship and say, hey, I'm pretty confident in these 10 different companies will eventually result in an aggregate of 100 MAUs. And, and that would have been a much more realistic goal because that's what's happening. But hmm. by the end of the four weeks, I'll be lucky if I hit 50% of that. So, Yeah, and that's the fun of uh, creating some of these stretch goals. I think, like you said, if you hit 50% of that, that also is like good for the business. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also, again, what is what is success? Is success hitting 100% of your goal? And I think it's okay, then you definitely do not hit an ambitious enough goal. Hmm. With YC, their mantra is 50%. And I think that's almost a little too low because you're like, if you're good, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's preference, right? So mine is around 75, 80%. I think that's where I want to kind of my happy place. Mm. Understood. Are there uh, two or three people, Thomas, uh, that have influenced your journey the most? Uh, and uh, if there are, uh, where and how did you meet them? Uh, first would be my father. I mean, I, I'm, I talk to him almost every single day mm -hmm. and we're talking about, he's, he's very strong on the business side, but also extremely strong, strong on the engineering side. Mm. And he has a really strong product sense. 
so we're talking about the entire business all the time and um i'm showing him like new uis and new uxs i'm explaining him how i'm architecting my database or how i'm structuring different services that i'm creating and uh and then also just like overall strategy it's like this is where our mission is this is our goals this is what we're going to set so i mean he's um he's, he's definitely one of my favorite people to talk to because he's so believable he's been there and done that but he's he's able to give me uh his, his opinion very very quickly and it's like usually like yes that's great no that's not great you should go explore like it's it's very direct it's very tactical um and that's been that's been huge in my success um i think outside of that i look for there wouldn't be just one other person but there would be like a few individuals that have that sort of expertise within a specific field so i'm talking to someone regularly around product and we have a one hour meeting every week where we just go through what are the updates that happen and we just go through what is like what are we dealing with in activation what are we doing with user onboarding how are we doing in the experience of adding funds like we we tactical uh solve a very specific piece and it's it's usually quite tactical um and then i have other people that i talk to on the raising side the engineering side um someone that i talk to in the hr space that understands that area really well and say, Hey, these are the conversations I have. This is my input from it and how I think it should impact the business. Based on your experience within the industry, do you think this makes sense? So I think it is important to have regular conversations with people that can help impact your path, but make sure that they're believable. And in my case, I look for people that solve specific verticals and, and try to develop a relationship with them. So it's a bunch of people. And uh, are these all um, work relationships that you created in your previous organizations uh, or uh, these are different ones? I, so three of them are, the others aren't. Um, so it's about 50-50. And uh, the other ones have really just been referrals or uh, just like cold outreaches. Like it's like sometimes like you, you meet one person and then they're like, you should talk to this person and you kind of go down the line and then you'll, you'll eventually find someone that you guys you just connect with and you say hey like let's have a chat next week and they also want to have a chat next week and it's it's uh you, you it's it's never like it's never an interview or like a formal conversation it, it kind of just ends up being uh that relationship where you guys do talk regularly and that it that becomes the the working relationship but um a combination of both pick a ticket and eventbrite and outside just like networking is there a networking tip that you would want to share? What works best? Keep it short, like do custom um, and like be a, be a person, like talk. Like I always like, sometimes I write things like mm -hmm. trying to be formal or like trying to convince. And then I like read it aloud. Cause I'm like, would I actually say that? I'm like, that sounds, I never use those words. Like, that, <laughs> I don't talk like that. Like no one talks like that. And I, I stand when I get those emails. Uh, I always try to like, just talk like a person. I also don't want to read, depending on who it is, but I typically don't want to read like a three paragraph thing. And like my highest conversion on response is like the one, one line, nine word. Um, just like, Hey, this is like, if you can summarize, like personalize it, why you're interested in talking to them, like what the next step is very, very quickly. I think that's a huge value. So, um, uh, be a person, keep it short and uh, make sure that you're you're customizing it. Love it. So here is another fun question. Uh, we all become wiser in retrospect. 
So if you were to go back and advise a five years younger you, what mm-hmm. is it that you would advise as a must or must not do? So I, I, if I could go further, I would go into CS or engineering for sure. I mean, that's, that's easily, I mean, we do have regrets. Listen to your dad. <laughs> listen to my father and I'm, I'm doing that more now. Um, but no, so if, if, I mean, five years ago, graduated from, from Western, um, I think I'll, I'm constantly drawing back on wrist and rye foodie, pick a ticket event, right? My previous experiences on and all the outside activities that I did. I think what I did a poor job of, of just trying to memorize all that stuff. Like I'm, I'm, you, I'm constantly recalling from those experience, but from memory. And I think anyone listening to this that is like in a job and thinking about doing something on the side eventually, like abstract as much value as you can from your current organization. And I'm not saying like steal like proprietary information. I'm saying like there are frameworks or things that you were learning on the job. Don't try to memorize them, compartmentalize it, like, like folderize, like create a framework for writing down the things that you're learning so that you can use them in your future life. And I think an example of this is like, I'm starting to think about PPC for Perka. I did PPC four and a half years ago and obviously tools have changed, but a lot of the strategies and tactics, things that I learned were extremely valuable while I was at Foodie and I didn't, I don't have any of that. I'm recalling that from memory. Um, there are frameworks around product strategy that at Eventbrite that are much more recent, but I'm still recalling them from memory. And I would say, write those things down because they're going to be hugely impactful five years down the line. Love that. Love that learning. I think uh, some of us uh, prefer journaling, writing down. Some of us create mental models, mind maps. Mm-hmm. But I think the point that you're making is uh, uh, whatever you're doing, one, become really good at that. Second, while you're becoming yeah. good at that, also try to extract and uh, create some sort of model that you can apply uh, elsewhere, wherever, wherever you go out. Uh, Thanks, uh, Thomas. I think so we have come nearly to the end of the conversation. I have two more questions for you. These are quick ones. Uh, One is, uh, uh, what's your favorite book or podcast and why? So the, um, there's a YC startup school like session. Uh, There's like 20 recorded videos from um, that YC did at Stanford. And it's like six years ago. It's absolute gold i mean they go through so many aspects of starting a business um, and bring in really really believable people and it's it's things that you can think about for planning strategy for the future but if you're starting something or thinking about starting something it's so tactical and it's so candid um and it's probably the the most valuable feedback that i've seen for for starting a business so there's yeah yc startups uh school sessions on youtube and it's the recordings. There's 20 of them an hour long on YouTube. Um, absolutely amazing. Got it. And the last question, uh, where can people learn more about what you're doing these days? So uh, perkupapp.com. That's P-E-R-K-U-P-A-P-P.com. And if someone were to contact you, uh, what's the best way to connecting with you? Uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn would be great. So just going to Thomas Mimo Tahiri on LinkedIn, search me, go through uh, Rahul's network, and I'll, I'll be there. If you send me a connection request or a message, uh, be happy to speak. 
Super. This has been a wonderful conversation. I didn't intend it to be uh, so long, but loved talking to you. So I kept uh, extending the conversation. Thank you so much, Thomas, yeah. for joining us today. It was yeah, thanks for speaking to you. You as well. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Habit Stack of Problem Solvers by Purplecrest. If you enjoyed this episode, please help support the podcast by sharing it with others or by leaving a rating or review. To catch all the latest from us, you can visit purplecrest.co. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.